1: Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box, inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. How do they do it? Like us, Girls Can Crate believes that real women make the best heroes. And every month, they deliver them to your doorstep. Hi, Katie. Hi, Olivia. So, I think one thing that in our family, we especially believe in is the power and importance of a good narrative. (laughs) That the the power of a really good story goes beyond just entertainment. That it's literal power. Yeah. From being able to create a good story. I was just talking to my students about that last night. (laughs) (laughs) I was telling them that as historians, they get to be the storytellers. You know, there's what happened and then there's how you tell it and what it means and the conclusions that you draw from it.
0: And Mm -hmm. that's
1: where the real power is. I mean, there's the phrase, history is told by the victors, but I think history is often told by the best storyteller. If you can create a more compelling narrative than your opponent, you're probably going to win history. For sure. But I think really successful leaders understand that aspect of what a story does and use it yeah. Themselves. Yeah. And the woman we're talking about today really understood the power of a powerful narrative. Today, we're going way back. Yay. I love Way Back. I knew you would love Way Back. <laughs> In fact, this one falls into your personal favorite category of history. <gasps> we know for sure she existed. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! And that is all we know for sure. Cool. About the person we're talking to today. But we have lots of good stories. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that is my favorite kind. I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating Women You've Never Heard Of. So today we are going. To 3rd century Syria. Cool. Which at that point was not Syria. Yeah? It was the city of Palmyra. Okay. In the Roman Empire. Okay, cool. Do you know who we're talking about? Uh, we must be talking about the warrior queen. Uh... Z- uh, Zenobia oh, Yes, Zenobia Warrior Queen Zenobia Cool, very cool To learn more about her, I talked to Pamela Toller, Who is the author of a new book that just came out Women Warriors All about women warriors throughout world history Oh my gosh I was just reading about that book yesterday <laughs> Literally yesterday I was researching Amazons Yeah And I was like, oh, didn't know that book Existed. There it is. It just now does. Oh my gosh. It just was released this month. How cool. And I talked to her. Awesome.
0: My name is Pamela Toller. I'm an independent historian, and I'm most recently the author of a book called Women Warriors An Unexpected History. It looks at women warriors from really the second millennium BCE up to pretty much the day before yesterday. Ironically, the woman we're going to talk about today, Zenobia, only gets a couple of sentences in the book, so I'm really pleased that we're going to get a chance to tell her story in more detail here. 270 CE. woman named Zenobia, who you probably haven't heard of, was the de facto ruler of a, the city-state of Palmyra, which was in modern Syria, and she went on a military campaign that almost split the Roman Empire in two. And in order to understand her story, we got to take a couple of steps back. Palmyra was a Roman client state. It was located on the border with the Persian Empire. And it was important to Rome for two reasons. First, it was a major stop on the silk trade route, and Rome had a big appetite for silk. So Palmyra was one of the most wealthy cities in the Roman Empire. It was also important strategically because it was right on the border with Persia. And Persia was Rome's biggest, most threatening enemy after the end of Carthage, at the Third Punic Wars. In the third century, internal changes in both Persia and Rome really meant that that border became more hotly contested. Um, Rome ended up in really political chaos and they really depended on the military forces of states like Palmyra that were used to desert warfare in order to help patrol this long, hotly contested border. Political chaos starts in Rome in 193 when the Emperor Commodus is assassinated and after that Rome just ends up with this revolving door of emperors. Assassinations, civil wars, legions, raising emperors up. And really, in a period of 50 years, you get like 26 emperors and 40-some wannabes.
1: Yeah, there, in Roman history, there's we break Roman history up into different time periods, and there is a time period called the Era of the Five Good Emperors. Because there's five good ones in a row. And that's the sweet spot. Like, whenever people ask me if you had to go back in time and live in any time or place, what would you choose? That's what Mm. I would choose. Rome, around the year 150, maybe. Right in the middle of the five good emperors, then that's the sweet spot. But after those five, yeah, it's just this kind of long, slow decay until everything falls apart.
0: In 223, 224, a new dynasty rises up in Persia, the Sasanian Empire, and they're determined that they are going to restore Persia to its former glory. And what that means in practical terms is taking big chunks of land away from Rome. You've got this chaos, and in 660, things really go from bad worse as far as rome is concerned and by now rome's very used to depending on the man at the spot the man on the spot was Odenathus, who was an important member of the pomiran elite he had been named to the senatorial class of rome even though he was not roman and most important for us he was Zenobia's husband New Roman Emperor Valerian comes to power. He decides to come to the East to deal with the Persians, leaves his son behind as co-emperor. It's a disaster. They are not only defeated, but the Persians capture Valerian and a lot of the senior officers. One of the Roman commanders who survives decides to make a play for being emperor. Odonathus puts down the rebellion in the name of the Roman emperor. He then takes the remaining Roman legions and leads them into Persia, regains a bunch of the territory that Persia had taken from Rome, and chases the Persian emperor back across the Euphrates.
1: Emperor Valerian is in control Kind of. And, but as. <laughs> That's a good summary of Valerian. <laughs> as his son, Gallienus, this is me self consciously speaking Latin at the Latin speaker. <laughs> uh, his son, Gallienus, takes over, and there's another schism. Everyone's trying to decide who to follow. There's other people claiming the throne. And it's right in this mess that Zenobia's husband, And his son are murdered. Mm.
0: There are all sorts of speculations about who murdered him. The one that most historians today accept is that it was cousin who was responsible for it.
1: It seems to have been a family murder, not a (laughs) political murder (laughs) per se. (laughs) But it's at this moment that Zenobia comes into history. To the extent that she does. <laughs> the sources are very slim and pretty sketchy. hmm A classic scenario in ancient history.
0: Not yet 30, with a son who is probably about 10, she steps up, puts her son in place as the ruler of Palmyra, and herself as regent. Most of what we know about her chronology comes from coins inscriptions, milestones on the roads. We do have some narrative histories, but they're written much later, and they're written by the descendants of her enemies. So you kind of have to adjust for bad attitude when you read them.
1: So we have two main classical sources and then a few Arabic sources Okay. for information about Zenobia. Our classical sources are the Historia Augusta, which is this compilation of biographies that seem to be written by one man pretending to be six men. Oh, cool. (laughs) Nice move. (laughs) Yes, He is demonstrating his wide research and open-mindedness in listing all of these different people's points of view. But... It's pretty well accepted now that this was one person.
0: And one of the things he's infamous for is inserting what we assume are fictional letters into his histories. Hmm. It's not that unknown for the period. I mean, we often get letters or even more importantly, speeches that no one could have heard.
1: One of the most famous speeches from this period is is, you know, the warrior Boudica's famous speech to rally her people yeah. to fight the Romans. There was no one yeah. there no, writing this nobody was down. Yeah, frantically scribbling down the words that she there said. There was not a Roman historian <laughs> in the audience <laughs> listening and noting this story. But this is widely accepted as a historical document. Right. This is her speech. You got to work with what you got. Right. Yeah you can always accept sources like that, too, because you imagine that as that writer was doing their research, they had sources in front of them. They were drawing from other right. ancient texts that don't exist anymore. So you kind of have to put your faith in them. But you can understand that if they did even a little research, they had something that they were drawing on. And right, better exactly. than nothing. <laughs> he must have gotten this somewhere. Yeah, yeah.
0: The um, more sober and reliable source... It's from a Greek historian named sosimos that's written in the 6th century um, and you know I don't I don't have anything interesting to tell you about him.
1: <laughs> then we also have a handful of Arabic sources that give a alternate version and really interesting version of Zenobia's life so Pamela Toller pulls from all of those and has The job of trying to figure out what seems most likely Mm. and what to make of these conflicting stories. Yeah, fun. Historical detective work. Yeah. This is a choose-your-own-adventure, essentially. (laughs) How will Zenobia die? Yay! And what will happen to her story? Cool. Do we all get to choose our own version? I think so, yes. Awesome.
0: Here's what we do now. She was born around 240 CE. She married Odinathus sometime between 258, um, so shortly before the the Valerian disaster. And at the time that she married him, he was much older, he was widowed, and he had at least one adult son who probably was older than Zenobia. So in 260, after he's pushed the Persians back across the Euphrates, Odinathus is the most powerful man in the eastern half of the empire. And we tend to forget that the eastern part of the empire, in fact, was larger and more wealthy than the west. Half is a misnomer, maybe two-thirds. And he certainly was as powerful as any of the usurpers who had used their position with the Roman legions to get themselves named emperor. Instead, he seems to have remained loyal to Valerian's son.
1: So, for about three years after Odainthus's death, Zenobia keeps things going. She remains loyal to the emperor, she maintains the border, she keeps everything stable. And in 269 or 270, something happens. Zenobia suddenly assembles an army and begins an imperial expansion in the name of Palmyra, <laughs> not in the name of Rome, to conquer Arabia. <laughs> Do we know why? Or nope? <laughs> We don't know what happens, (laughs) if this was just waiting her time until she could do Mm -hmm. this, if there was something that triggered it. We don't have any records that explain what might have happened. There is this constant conflict with both the Persian Empire and the Tanis tribes. Mm -hmm. Something may have happened there, or she may have just gone, my turn, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) Either way, she is wildly successful.
0: She conquers Arabia? goes from there into Egypt. And Egypt is important. It's the source of a third of Rome's grain. And so it's not just an attack on the Roman economy, but it's also a possibility for a lot of political instability. Bread and circuses isn't just a clever line. The Romans ate a lot of grain. Roman soldiers' daily ration was two to three pounds of grain. Yeah, so if you are if you cut off a third of that, you've got a real possibility of trouble at home. This is a crazy bold move.
1: But this is Rome. I mean, Egypt is Rome, and she is in Rome. But she's not taking it on behalf of Rome. Okay. She's taking it on behalf of Palmyra and has now declared, apparently, Palmyra an independent state. Okay. And herself its ruler. I mean, this is happening nominally in her son's name. Okay but she is literally leading the army. Okay. Let's do this, Zenobia. And they take Egypt. (laughs) Pretty easily, she suddenly is in control of Egypt. Awesome. (laughs) Now, it is true at this point, Valerian is a little distracted. He's off being attacked by the Goths on the other side Mm -hmm. of the empire. So this also may be why now, because she knows that the emperor does not have the time or power oh. to pay attention okay. to what's happening yeah. on this side of the She's empire. She's been waiting to strike. We can tell just from her decisions that she was a brilliant strategic thinker. Mm. She attacks Egypt at the exact moment the Roman prefect in charge of Egypt is off fighting pirates. Aha! Uh-huh. Okay, so this isn't just some wild woman just... In a rage, marching around and attacking people. She's got a plan. She is a very brilliant military leader mm. who is thinking through how to do this. And it's evident in her really amazing success. Cool. As Pamela Toller points out, this is actually a really good metric for understanding how later sources feel about her. How they talk about this moment.
0: mm There are the ones who say, she got lucky. He wasn't there. Who knows what would have happened if he was there? And then there are the ones who say, she planned this really well.
1: Let's pause for just a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. It's Women's History Month, and many people are looking for a way to encourage their kids to learn more about the amazing women who have made the world a better place. We can't think of a better way to do that than with a subscription to Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Every crate features an inspiring woman and her own unique story of why she's awesome, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEM activities and more. And for our listeners, if you go to girlscancrate.com, C-R-A-T-E.com, and use the code HERNAME, all caps, you'll get 20% off your first month's crate on any subscription. Check them out now at GirlsCanCrate, C-R-A-T-E.com. And when you order, make sure you use the coupon code HERNAME, all caps, so that they know we sent you. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, she defeats Egypt. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. As Just you do. Conquered the jewel of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And moves into Asia Minor. Awesome. So modern-day Turkey. She moves all the way into Ankara. Wow, and she finally makes her claim to power and issues a coin not in Rome's name with her son on it, or with just mm. her son as the ruler, but she issues a coin with herself as the ruler. Wow, that is dangerous. It was it seems to have been the moment Ah. (laughs) when the emperor finally went, okay, that's enough. (laughs) Wow.
0: When she first stepped into power, she issued coins that acknowledged Rome. And then in about 271, that began to change, and she issued coins that showed Aurelian on one side as Augusta and then her son on the other side. Eventually, though, the coins start showing her son as Augusta. And then what probably tipped Aurelian over the edge, she started issuing coins with herself Mm. as Augusta. And Valerian cleans up the messes back home, heads east with an army.
1: He sends a large bulk of Roman Legion soldiers to take on Zenobia and her army. Mm. So she starts retreating. And once she starts, she doesn't stop.
0: Up to that point, she didn't get much opposition when she was fighting the Roman legions in the east. Aurelian's a different matter. She doesn't even try to keep Asia Minor. She wasn't very well established there. So he doesn't really run up against her until they get to a town called Eme that's just east of Antioch. It's a little town. And she's waiting for him there with a large army. Things didn't go well at Aimée. It was pretty devastating losses. They retreated to Antioch. At Antioch, she really pulls off kind of a fun trick. She fakes a victory. They find a man in their ranks who looks something like Aurelian. They dress him as a Roman, and they take a triumphal march through the city with a captured Roman general. You know, they're afraid that if they know they were defeated, that Antioch is going to rise up against them. And then come nightfall, she and her troops retreat out. She retreats, and she retreats, and she ends up back at Palmyra. and. Aurelian leads his troops across the desert. They get to Palmyra and they blockade the city. And as things get tight, Zenobia makes a run for it.
1: Some sources say she's out looking for reinforcements, perhaps from Persia, perhaps from the Arabic tribes. Some say, of course, she's a cowardly woman just trying to escape with her life. Yeah. Either way, she is trying to get across the Euphrates to the Persian Empire. Oh. We get a very lovely detail that she was riding a she-camel that was faster than any horse. <laughs> wow. What a great detail. Pamela Toller calls it sort of the... You know, in the 19th century and 18th century, we have Orientalism from Europe oh, that is sort of yeah. casting the Oriental as this exotic, yeah, exciting. Right. Um, this is sort of a pre-Orientalistic thing uh-huh. that's happening here a thousand years before that's going to start happening. Uh-huh. She is escaping not only on a camel, which is a very exciting detail yeah. for those who are used to horses, but a she camel. Yeah, I love that. I would like the experience of riding a she camel that is faster yes. than any horse. Uh, from what I've heard about riding camels, I don't think you would like that experience. <laughs> it's apparently a very uncomfortable thing. It would be, to ride it would a camel. be memorable. <laughs> only a she camel though. Yeah, only a she camel could be faster right. than a horse. And I, I love that acknowledgement of she's a queen, but she's still better than any of the men. Uh She's faster than any of the horses.
0: She gets stopped at the Euphrates. Something goes wrong, and before anyone can ferry her across the river, the Roman cavalry catches up with her. And with Zenobia captured, Palmyra surrenders.
1: And here's where the choose-your-own-adventure begins. (laughs) Or perhaps more accurately, the ending of one of our family favorite movies, Clue.
0: <laughs> the Arabic sources tell a story. There is a group of Arabic tribes called the Tanakh, who the Tanakh Confederacy is a group of tribes who moved into the area around Palmyra about the time that the Sasanian Empire was coming to power, and they become rivals to Palmyra. And in this account, she is concerned that she can't have the Tanakh behind her as she advances into Egypt. So she calls them for a meeting and she treacherously murders the leader of the Tanakh. And his nephew takes control of the Confederacy and in the Arab accounts, the Arabs led by him are the ones who defeat her at Palmyra. It's interesting the way these sources work, because classicists, many of them, dismiss the Arab sources on the grounds that they do not mention Aurelian and the Roman legions.
1: Of course, the classicist sources don't mention the Arabic tribes. (laughs) So, take that as we will. What we do know is that after... Zenobia is out of the picture. The Tanaks replace Palmyra as the main rival in the area for the power of Rome. Okay. And 100 years later, a Tanak queen stages another revolt against the Roman Empire and successfully defeats the Roman Empire again. <laughs> That's how it could have happened. But how about this? <laughs> The emperor has followed Zenobia all the way across the desert, staged this blockade of Palmyra, and when he hears that she's making a run for the Euphrates, cuts her off at the pass, Oh not really a pass, and captures her before she can escape. And she is taken captive. Okay. She is marched back to Rome to face punishment. Wow, that's a long march. And... As Pamela Toller points out, given the Roman Empire's treatment of captured queens, not something she can look forward to. Mm -hmm. And so, according to this source, she refuses to eat and dies of starvation as a protest On the way. Still maybe better than the fate she could have anticipated once she gets there. Yeah. And that's the end of Zenobia. Ah. That's how it could have happened. Yeah. But how about this? Mm. She doesn't die. Yay. And she is brought all the way back to Rome. Oh, okay. To face ritual public humiliation. Mm -hmm. She's marched through the center of Rome, loaded down with all of her jewelry, surrounded with all of the treasures that the Roman emperor has taken captive when Uh he took her captive. So much stuff that they have to have extra soldiers and slaves to carry her wealth along as she is draped in all of her jewels. So again, little pre-Orientalistic Orientalism Mm -hmm. here happening. She is paraded through town, then seated, chained to this throne on public display for three days Whoa! before being beheaded. Wow. So that's a pretty awful end, yeah. but an exciting story. Mm-hmm. That's how it could have happened. How about this, though? Oh! She makes it all the way to Rome. Mm-hmm. She is paraded through town with all of her fancy stuff. Okay. She is held up for public ridicule, an opportunity for the emperor to showcase his fabulous success uh. in defeating this famous warrior queen. hmm And then she's given a pension and a villa in Tiber. What? Next to Hadrian's Villa and lived in comfort and luxury for the rest of her life. Even marrying a Roman Senator and becoming a fairly important social hostess whose house is a tourist attraction. Wow. I like that one. That sounds like that was just made up by somebody who needed a happy ending, so they... Yeah, so so <laughs> that that's your choice, you choosing well, that ending? yeah, I'm in the mood for a happy ending, so All right. yeah, I'm going to go with that. I like it. <laughs> what are you going to go with? Well, I think they can both be true. What? This is a woman and a culture that clearly understand the power of narrative, so if it's up to me... Here's what really happened. Well, Find given that. her previous plan, she might have died and they pulled in a ringer. That's true. <laughs> my uncle. They're that's like, you true. know, that worked really well for her, maybe. That's right. And you that know, lady. That,
0: that's um, that's true because no one would have known what she looked like. We right. don't know what she looked like. The, the closest thing we have is what she looks like on a coin. Um, right.
1: Find some lady. To parade oh. through town oh. and pay her off for this deception ah. by giving her a senator and a villa and a lifetime of ease and luxury just for saying she's Zenobia. That is brilliant. I love it. Beautiful symmetry. He's not deprived of his public yeah. revenge <laughs> just because this queen refused to eat. Oh my gosh. And all it cost him is a villa. Wow. I love it.
0: I like ends. that because I really found it hard to picture her as a real housewife of Tiber. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know? I mean, really, I think she clearly understood and activated the power of story, the power of narrative, mm-hmm. how you can use the human psyche's desire to make things a good story. Yeah. And so why shouldn't people learn from her? <laughs> 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 right. She would want us to do the same with her story. (laughs) So that's what I choose. Cool. Just like Clue, everyone did it. (laughs) Wonderful.
0: My own guess is that it's probably somewhere in between the two, and that the Tanakh and Rome, in fact, were allies at Palmyra. Because Rome never really did very well in the desert by itself anyway.
1: Over here, in the Western world, Mm -hmm. in quotes, have forgotten Zenobia. Mm -hmm. Syria has not. Yeah.
0: She's on one of the banknotes. And she also was the center of an Arab language historical soap opera in the 1990s that was seen by hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Arab speakers. So we think of her as forgotten. Not so much.
1: She is erased after her death by, again, this story that we don't want to believe that women did things like mm-hmm. this. That we want to cherry pick and say, there were a few women who were warriors or led armies or or did these very unladylike things, but it was very, very unusual. Mm-hmm. How I can't believe that I haven't heard of her.
0: But, you know, I worked on this book for a year and a half and I had maybe a hundred names in a folder by the time I started writing it. And by the end, I had a couple of thousand names and I'd come bouncing down the stairs or back from the library and say to my husband, you'll never guess what I found. I mean, the Romans always act like they've never seen a woman fight before. <laughs> but you had Cleopatra, you had Botica, you have Zenobia, you've got maybe a, a hundred years later in the same place. You've got women rulers in Ethiopia, known as the Candaces, who defeat Rome pretty consistently. And it continued to amaze Rome over and over and over as well.
1: This is another really good demonstration of how the power of narrative can harm you, that Rome cannot accept a narrative that says women are anything other than their extremely binary, extremely strict Mm -hmm. perception of what a woman is. There are men and there are women and they stay in their boxes. And that is how things have always been. And of course, that's not how things are anywhere else in the world at that point. And until they impose it on the world. And so they keep underestimating these women because they can't believe that women could possibly do this, and so women keep, keep defeating them. that. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> I think it's a lot easier to explain why women don't have power if you convince everyone that it's always been this way. And so we pretend that these women didn't exist or were a kind of occasional mutation in the male-led norms of human history. And it's just simply objectively not true. Yeah, I think we inherited a Victorian tradition that made a lot of assumptions, like mm-hmm. they've invented archaeology. They're opening graves. They look inside and they see a grave with a skeleton and a bunch of weapons and they go, OK, so this is a warrior grave. They map the yeah. classically conservative Victorian gender roles on the past and it's stuck. But it feels like in the last 20 years, at least, we have been with the help of like DNA analysis, we have been finally stripping back- These viking warriors are women? We are pulling away all those, all of that groundwork that was laid by the Victorians and saying, okay, so these assumptions probably weren't true. These assumptions probably weren't true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really decaying in a huge way lately.
0: Yeah. We know for sure that she existed. And that makes her a winner in the context of these stories.
1: Huge thanks to Pamela Toller and to our Patreon supporters, Chantel Oliver, Ryan Rose, and the Trashy Divorces Podcast. If you'd like to become a patron and get great thank you gifts like our trading cards, cross stitch patterns, and even your own shout out in a future episode, visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com and click donate. If you'd like more information about Zenobia or want to see some great images or find links to Women Warriors and Dr. Toller's other books, you can visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com and find all of that. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Music featured in this episode included music from ancient Rome and Egypt by the amazing Michael Levy at ancientlyre.com from Unstoppable Farmer and Sam Henderson. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. What's her name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle.
0: Hey y'all. My name's Alicia. I'm Stacy And we make Trashy Trashy Divorces. Divorces. It's a good podcast about bad relationships. Every week we bring you two stories of love gone wrong. And people who really should know better behaving very, very badly. It's a fun way to cut some
1: powerful people down to size.
0: Or take a second look at stories and scandals that define the time. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or on the web at TrashyDivorces.com. New episodes every Sunday. Subscribe now and never miss a garbage day.